Wow. Amen. Joseph Cole. Thank you very much. So this is Joseph Cole. You may not recognize him, but you know his grandma and grandpa. So we're glad that he can be up from San Antonio and be with his grandparents and be able to play. Not only is he a beautiful piano player, but he's a pretty good boxer. I don't know if you noticed that. Actually, it's not a boxing act to them, but Joseph, thank you so much for ministering to us. And Jay, wow. Thank you so much for the songs today. I don't know if you contacted my wife and... uh, and she requested every one of my favorite songs, but you pretty much hit on all of them. And I want to thank all of you. The congregational singing was outstanding. I haven't heard congregational singing like that in a long, long time. And part of it might be because I just got some hearing aids, and maybe I'm hearing a little bit better. <laughs> the other possibility is maybe I'm going to churches that aren't singing some of the songs that we can sing like what you guys have done. This is a tremendous blessing uh, today. What you already heard, my name is Jeff Anderson. I'm a Colorado Springs native. I got to pastor Grace Bible Church for many years. If you don't know what that is, it's the church that bought Vista Grande Baptist over on Flint Ridge Drive. And so we, we have a lot in common. We share the same building for a while. Uh, I had even contacted some of your leaders years ago and said, hey, you know, with good possibility that we buy your building again, we kind of like to have some input into this next design. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. That didn't work out and we di- didn't push our luck with any of that. I was so blessed to say uh, to see Pastor Chris and his family here today. Pastor Chris, where are you at? Would you just wave at us for it, please? I have no idea where he is because I can't see. Is he over there? Man, we love you. And uh, as we express our love for you, I'm expressing love not only from the church, but from our community. And beyond that, uh, look, our community needs Pastor Chris and his family serving here. And uh, for you to make sure that you value that enough, that you have this sabbatical where he can make sure that he is being refreshed. I just want to thank you uh, for your deacons that are doing a good job of making sure that Chris is here for the long haul, including uh, in our community. And so, Chris, I sure love you. And I'm feeling in the pressure big time with you being here right now. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, please, this morning? Romans 8. We're going to turn our attention to verses 1 through 4, a passage of Scripture that you'll be very familiar with because you've heard it many times. But I'd like to do something unusual, and I'd like to read the whole chapter, all of Romans chapter 8. And as you read this, you're going to find a lot of verses that sound familiar to you. Maybe you didn't even know that they were in Romans 8. But when you hear something that's a special blessing, you've loved that verse, you can feel free to just say amen to the Word of God as we're reading through it. Uh, Not everyone here is physically able to stand for all that time, but if you are, would you please stand with me with reverence for God and His Holy Word? I'll read aloud as you follow along in your own Bibles, uh, beginning with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. 
Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Amen. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Amen. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him freely also give us all things? Who shall be able who condemns? It is Christ who died, who furthermore is also risen. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Amen indeed. This is the word of God. Would you please be seated? How do you not love a chapter that begins by saying there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and ends by telling us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? But this chapter is also filled with so much other hope, and there's a repetition of a, of a key word. He's really talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's referred to the Holy Spirit 19 times with what we've read. And so often when people want to study the Holy Spirit, they go to lots of other passages of Scripture, but rarely do they come to this one, which actually has more reference to the Holy Spirit than any other passage that I can think of. This is a passage that's talking about all of the blessings that have been poured out upon us as Christians by the Holy Spirit. And what we know is that that Holy Spirit indwells us. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, here's what he does on our behalf. This passage is describing the Holy Spirit's ministry 
the ministry of emancipation by which he frees us. He frees us from the law of sin and death. By the way, if you're taking notes this morning and you have it in your bulletin, there's a couple places where you can write down some of these ministries. The ministry of emancipation, he frees us. Uh, the, the ministry of transformation by which he changes us to where the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work transforming us. It's amazing power. The Spirit's ministry of adoption is the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What an incredible blessing that we have been adopted as children. And then the Holy Spirit's ministry of anticipation is where he's weaned us from this world and he reminds us that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so we come to recognize that the sufferings that we're enduring in this world, well, this world's not home anyway. And so our expectation, our longing is for heaven. And it's the Spirit of God who gives us a longing for the things that are going to be better when the Lord comes again. He also provides for us Spirit's ministry of consolation. By the Spirit's ministry of consolation, I'm talking about how that He comforts us in our weakness and He prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes when you're going through some suffering and difficulty in this world, sometimes when you've lost a loved one or you have some sort of uh, physical malady that you're suffering with, sometimes you're wondering, does God care? Does He even see? Does He note? And by the passage of Scripture today, I want to tell you, oh yes, He sees, He cares, and He prays for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. He comforts us in all of these things. And finally, the Holy Spirit ministers to us by preservation. That means that He keeps us. That means in this Christian life, we're not just holding on as hard as we can and somehow hoping that we can endure to the end. No, it's the Holy Spirit Himself who keeps us so that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, Jeff, you're already speaking like a fire hose. We can't keep up with all of what you're saying. Well, let me just give you the broad picture so that we can now focus down into these key phrases, verses one through four. And I'm going to quote it for you again. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak according to the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh he condemned the sin in the flesh that and this is key that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit here we're talking about the spirit's ministry of emancipation he frees us from the law of sin and death and i for one can just say hallelujah that we are not living our christian life by a bunch of rules and regulations I, mean, I kind of grew up in a whole world and in a tradition where there are a lot of rules and regulations. I'd gone to a Christian college that was a fundamental college, and I appreciated everything that invested in my life. But it's so easy to start thinking that, well, you know what? The Christian life is about the length of your hair or about the length of your dress or about the length of the slacks you're wearing or about all of these external things. I am so blessed that when we have the freedom of the Holy Spirit in our life, what God is doing within us is far more than rules and regulations. Someone can say amen to that. As a matter of fact, if there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, then we're going to focus on these verses to just kind of recognize not only what we've received by being justified freely by His grace, but we're also going to be able to enjoy the work of the Holy Spirit that's within us because we have been born again, born by the Spirit. 
By the way, if you're trying to take notes and you're not able to keep up, I, I have a little bit of good news for you. I prepared a book that's called Life in the Spirit that's about Romans chapter 8 and um, actually goes into a whole lot more detail than what I can go into this morning. But uh, I have a couple of copies that are here available. My friend Dan Dyer is, is there. And uh, I've got about $10 invested in the book as far as editing and printing. But if you don't have $10 to be able to help and you just could use a copy, maybe if you don't have cash or maybe you're just strapped right now paying too much for gas. Yeah, I did go there. Um, if you just don't have the cash right now for it, these are available. We'd love to have you take one for free just so that you can kind of go into some more depth and be able to sit back and enjoy now these words. There is therefore now no condemnation. As it starts, the word therefore is pointing us back to a previous truth. It's not just going back to Romans chapter 7 where he'd ask the question, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? By the way, any Christian in the room has the same experience with the Apostle Paul where sometimes we can confess that the things I don't want to do, <laughs> that's what I do. And the things I do want to do, well, that's, that's what I don't do. And so we struggle in this Christian life and we can agree. But this, therefore, is not just pointing us back to thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, no. His therefore is going to go all the way back to Romans chapter 1. And here's why it's going to happen. Because Romans begins with a message of condemnation so that we can get to the point where when we hear there is no condemnation, we can truly rejoice. But the good news is only good because the bad news is so bad. Bear with me just a second. But he also says there is therefore now no condemnation. The word now is referring to a new condition, something that's happened. But previously, well, previously, my friends, there was nothing but condemnation. Because apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear to us that there's nothing but condemnation for the world and the people that are here. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. For that which may be known of God uh, is clearly seen even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, that passage of Scripture is telling us that there's a condemnation, meaning that there's no excuse. It's the picture of a courtroom. And there's someone who's down facing a judge, and in the court of heaven, if you're standing before God, every mouth is stopped. That means that you are inexcusable. To be inexcusable means you don't have a defense. It means that you don't have a plea. That means that you are guilty. And here are some of the people that are condemned. The people that are condemned are ungodly and unrighteous. We would kind of consider them, at least in our mind and in our culture, the wicked people. When we think about wicked people, it's the people who not only believe that there's no God, but they live as if there's no God. You see, ungodliness always leads to unrighteousness. Ungodliness means that you're living living as if there is no God, or you believe that there is no God. And so the ungodliness might be the ungodliness of atheism. The kind of ungodliness of atheism says that thinking that they were wise, they became fools. They were denying the reality of all of the evidence that there is a God in the world that is around us. Listen, the more that we study how massive this universe is, that we come to a conclusion that it is God who has made us and not we ourselves. But when you're also in science and you're not just looking at the big things, but you're looking at the littlest things. If you look through a, tele, a, a microscope and you study microbiology, when you look at the smallest things, you start recognizing that all of those small little things are, well, they're a design, they're a blueprint and they're evidence 
that everything in the world around us, including our human bodies, is not a product of random chance. It's not just an explosion or an oops. No, no. It has all been fearfully and wonderfully made. And if it's fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter how big or how small you want to study, there's an absolute conclusion that God has made us and not we ourselves. And anyone who thinks that they're being wise by, de- by denying the presence of God, those atheists are under condemnation. But it's not only an atheist that's under condemnation. It might also be, a, well, let's call it a, a polytheist. By a polytheist, we're talking about someone who believes in lots of gods. Here's what he said about them. He said, becoming foolish, he said they changed the glory of an incorruptible God, a God who doesn't change. He never, uh, he never dies. He doesn't grow weak. They changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. He talked about all the idols that people have made. And if you look at the world and world history around us, you see that all of this idolatry is a form of atheism. Because if you believe that there are many gods, you're still denying the one true God. But he also talks about the idolatry, or he talks about, excuse me, the atheism of pantheism. See, pantheism says that they worship the creation more than the creator, the one who is blessed forever. And to worship the creation, whether it's trees, or whether it's mountains, or whether it's a ski slope you ride down, or a fishing hole that you enjoy going to, to worship the creation rather than the creator himself is another form of ungodliness. And here's what I want you to know. God's condemnation not only comes against ungodliness, but unrighteousness. I've already alluded to. When people deny God, then they start acting and living as if there is no God. And ultimately, here's what happened. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That's not only a good description of an Old Testament period, it's a good description of us today. When you say that there's no God who defines marriage, now everyone can do what is right in their own eyes. If you come and say, wait, there's no God who creates us, male and female. No, no, now you come to a fluidity that comes in with all kinds of confusion. You come back and you say, wait a second, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And right now we are experiencing the unrighteousness that always follows ungodliness because when you say that there is no God or act like there is no God as a culture, eventually, according to Romans chapter 1, it says God gave them up to uncleanness to defile their own bodies among themselves. The uncleanness we're talking about here is really describing a a heterosexual uncleanness by which they live as if there's no God, and now they go out and, and they have sex with pretty much anyone or anything that they want. Almost everything is okay, except for now we come back and realize, wait, God created us, and God knows how we best function. And so when God comes and says, I am going to give the human race a wonderful gift, the gift of sexuality, But that gift that I'm going to give to them is something that has to be confined to my guidance, my maker's maker's book. I'm going to be able to give them this description. And I want one man and one woman who commit themselves to a lifetime covenant to come together. And that is where it's going to be a good thing, this human sexuality. But anything outside of God's plan is giving over to uncleanness. And I'm just telling you that not only is it foolish, but it's also destructive. And we're seeing the destruction of it in all of the culture around us. God gives them not only over to uncleanness, he gives them over, he says to, he gives them over to perversion for their women turn against the natural use. And even the men leave the natural use of the woman and burn in their lust toward one another. And lest you think I'm a hater, 
I want you to be clear that Romans chapter 1 speaks very adamantly and clearly about human sexuality. And it comes out and it tells us that God, our creator, is the one who defines what marriage should be, what sexuality is. And right now, you're not left on your own. And our culture is not left on our own to find out what is okay and what's acceptable. No, we come back to God who has spoken and made himself known. And so the wrath of God comes against a an entirely unhealthy way of living. Dan, I was just thinking about this the other night. I was thinking about the, just the whole transgenderism, which, by the way, transgender and homosexuality has made its way to the capital of the, of the United States. And there's people who want to take uh, some of our senators and other representatives to task and say, well, see, your mindset is dangerous. I'd step back and I'd say, wait a second. You're just telling me how many transgender people are following a path of of self-destruction or they're filled with so much hopelessness that there's a high rate of suicide among them. And I would step back and I would say, hey, look, with all love and compassion, let's stop going down the path where we let them go down destruction. I mean, come on, people. If someone's filled with alcoholism, do you treat them by handling handling them a bottle of liquor? No, we come back and we say, with all compassion, let's do what we can to confront the facade or, or the fake or, or what's taking place, and let's call you back to what God has said. Now, lest Pastor Chris has to come back and fix all of the mess that I create today, I'm going to move on. Because there's a condemnation, not just because they're given over uncleanness or they're given over to perversion, but they're also given up to a debased mind. And that retrobased mind is now where they're given up to all kinds of um, disobedience of their parents. There's no respect for authority. They're given up to all kinds of violence and murder. And right now, people, there is so, la- so, so little respect for human life that we have random drive-by shootings every weekend in our cities. We have such a loss of respect that there's the shootings in the schools. And the people want to come up with all kinds of rules and laws and regulations to confront all of that. I- I'm going to tell you that we start teaching our children that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and that they have been created in the very image of God. Let me tell you something. Maybe they're going to learn that it's wrong for me to take another human life because that life has been created in the image of God. And if we're to look at young men like this, you guys can look up at me and you can realize that you are specially created in the image of God, that everything about you has been fashioned by God himself. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. I don't think that we're going to struggle with hopelessness and despair among our teenagers and our young people if we could come back to telling them that there is a God and that his way is true. Can anyone support me on any of this? Well, maybe I, maybe I need to move on. So the message of condemnation, this bad news message is not only Romans chapter one, the wrath of God against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, so they're there without excuse, but it continues on. Because if you're thinking, well, at least I've never lived any of those wicked lifestyles or done any of those bad things. Wait, Romans chapter two says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, or you who judge practice the same thing. See, the news is that there is also condemnation for the self-righteous. By the self-righteous, I'm talking about the moral, the law-abiding, the people who look down their nose at everyone else. Unless you think that somehow Jeff is just a hater against all these other people, wait, just like they are under condemnation and apart from God, anyone who is moral, law-abiding, if they follow quote-unquote a moral lifestyle and they now look down their nose at other people, self-righteous people are also condemned so that their mouth is stopped. 
But he goes a little bit further. In Romans chapter 2, he also talks about religious people. And by religious righteous, he says this, you call yourself a Jew and think that you have the law of God and, and think that you're a guide to those that are blind. You're a light to those that are in darkness. Now, I don't believe that he's only picking on Jews. I think he's talking about all religious people. And within all those religious people, we need to understand that even religious people are under condemnation, according to Romans. Let, let me remind you, we're going to get to this hope that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But before we can see how great that is, we have to realize that there's nothing but condemnation apart from Christ Jesus. And that condemnation is not only for unrighteous people or for self-righteous people, it's also for religiously righteous people. Here's what he says about the Jews. He said, it's not just you who thinks you have the answers for everyone, but you can plug any kind of religious system into that. You think that you're a guide to the blind. You're a teacher of, of other people, but don't you know that he is not a Jew who is one outwardly? And circumcision is not that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who's one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. See, he's come back, and he's come to this conclusion. Every mouth is stopped, and the whole world becomes guilty before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or how about this conclusion? There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. My, I'm telling you people, this news is bad because apart from Christ Jesus, there is nothing but condemnation. But let me jump to this good news. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it gives us the great news when it says, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And that Christ is the propitiation, that through his blood and by faith in him, we can be made right with God. Now we're getting to this wonderful news that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And the reason there's that wonderful news is because we are made right with God by grace alone. I want everyone to be with me on this. Can you say, by grace alone, please? By grace alone. But that salvation that we receive is also received by faith alone. Can you say, by faith alone, please? By faith alone. And that faith is to be placed in Christ alone. So could you say, in Christ alone? In Christ you see, justification or being made right with God so that there's no condemnation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the same message that you guys hear preached week in and week out from that pulpit. But as we rejoice in this truth that we are justified freely by his grace, I also want us to hear three key words. There's the word justification. There is the word redemption and there's the word propitiation. The word justification means that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And let me try to explain it this way, especially explain a big word like propitiation. Um, there were two Chinese brothers who had immigrated to the United States in the 1800s. They were settling in the San Francisco area. The older brother, well, he got a good job. He soon had an apartment, was getting into a house. He was living the American dream. Everything was going well for him. But the younger brother, well, he turned to a life of crime. And soon he's running with the wrong people. He's involved in gangs. He's involved in all the wrong activities. One day he was in a back alley gambling with some men when he discovered that he was being cheated that they were stealing from him. He got so angry, they got into a fist fight. And during that fight, a knife was drawn and the other man was stabbed numerous times and he was killed. So here's this boy who's known he's committed a crime. He has blood all over him. And he also knew that in the United States at that time, if you're found guilty of murder, that they would, they would execute you. But there would be a capital punishment that he'd be hung by his neck. So he ran away to the only place he could think of that would be safe. He went to his brother's apartment. He opened up a window. He got in. He washed himself. He took off those bloody clothes and left them in a pile. And then he ran away to hide. 
About the same time, the older brother was coming home from work. He had heard that there had been a murder. He had seen the police going door to door right through his neighborhood. And when he got home, he finds a pile of bloody clothes. And he figured out that it was his kid brother who was guilty of this crime. He didn't have enough time to destroy those clothes because the police were just there. So he did something really strange. He took those clothes and he put them on. When the police came and they knocked at his house and they find him with all these bloody clothes on. I mean, after all, he matched the description of the young man. They arrested him. And as they were arresting him, all he had to do was say, officer, it wasn't me. It was my brother. Go get him. But without saying anything, he was arrested in his brother's place. The day came when he stood before a judge. And when all the evidence was given, the testimony, the eyewitnesses, everything that was there, received the guilty verdict in his brother's place. As a result of that, substitute received punishment that we deserve. And so if you think of substitution, understand that it was like a lamb that was silent before his shearers. He could have said, it wasn't me, go get them, put the punishment on everyone else. But he was silent because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed The Bible has made it very clear that God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin. That means he had no guilt. He didn't deserve any punishment at all. But God made him to become sin for us. The Bible says that Jesus bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, can live under righteousness. My friends, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't die in a tragic miscarriage of justice by which they took a good teacher and a moral man and somehow made him a scapegoat and killed him. No, no, this was God's plan to pour out all of his wrath and judgment upon the sin, to put it upon a substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was wounded wounded for our transgressions. He died in our place. He became a substitute for us. So I've explained to you propitiation and even redemption, but I got to come back and tell you how that story ends. Because after the brother had died for his younger brother and in his place, the younger brother felt so guilty about what he did. He turned himself in to the same police. He stood before the same judge. And when he looked up at the judge, He explained all the situation. The judge looked right back down at him and he said, young man, I know by the testimony of your own mouth that you are the one who's truly guilty of this crime. And friends, this is true. By California state records, he looked down and he says, but this court is satisfied because the punishment has already been paid. And even though you are guilty, you are free to go. My friends, that is what it means that we are justified. The word justified is exact opposite of condemnation. Condemnation is we have no plea. We have nothing to say. We're guilty before God. We deserve every punishment he gives. And by the way, it's not just people who are struggling with their sexuality who are under condemnation. It is religious people. It's moral people. It's all of us. Have I made that clear enough, Jay? It's all of us that are needing that standing before God by which we would look up and we would say and hear God say, I know from the testimony of your own mouth that you are guilty and that you deserve this punishment. But listen, people, this court is satisfied. Because the punishment has already been paid, and even though you are guilty, you are free to go. Here's the great news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
you're like, wow, Jeff, you took a long time to get there. I know I did. But when you hear how bad the news is, now you can come and realize how good the news is that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And when we hear that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, you don't have to wait to the end of a service by coming forward and praying a prayer. If you're hearing something right now and you're like, wait a second, you're telling me that in my guilt, if I believe in Jesus as the substitute for my sin, that I can become a new creature, I can be born again, that I can have newness of life? I don't have to follow rules and regulations. I don't have to go with some religious ritual. I'm telling you that right now in your seat, you can say something as simple as this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he, by faith, will come in and he will make you a new creature. And that is where the news even gets better. So far, my friend, uh, I appreciate that you're cheering me on because I need it. But listen, the news is only going to get better. Because when he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, here's what he also says. He also comes and says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Pastor Chris, when God gives us salvation, he doesn't just give us an escape from the punishment of hell. He doesn't just give us forgiveness. He gives us newness of life. I'd like you, two men right here on the front row to say these words with me, newness of life. Can you say that? newness of life is what Jesus gives because he doesn't just declare you righteous or acceptable he gives you newness of life Joseph can you say the word with me newness of life the new life that I'm talking about is the life that Jesus described when he said Nicodemus you must be born again because that which is born of the flesh is only flesh but that which is born of the spirit is spirit and to be born again means that we're not only justified freely by his grace we're not only justified by faith in Christ Jesus, but when we are justified, we become new creatures. You see, Jay, I kind of skipped over some other verses here. I skipped over chapter 4. Chapter 4 is telling us that it's simply by faith that we can be made right. And he gives us an example. Abraham believed God, and it was a candidate to him for righteousness. Before he ever worked or did anything, he deserved it. As a matter of fact, Romans 4, 5 says, to him who does not work, but believes on God, his faith is accounted as righteousness. You hear what I said? Faith is accounted for righteousness means that you can be guilty but free to go because you are declared not guilty. You're declared righteous not by your good works, not by the amount of money that you tithe, not the amount of churches you come to, not how many prayers you make. It's not by works. But here's the other news about Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith before there was ever circumcision. Now some people say, well, circumcision, baptism, all of these religious rituals, certainly you have to follow a religious ritual. Wait, Abraham was circumcised but that was after he'd already been justified justified by simple faith is by faith not by works is by faith not by rituals and listen to this the law that a lot of people want to follow the law and think that they're right with God because they keep all of the laws and the rules and the regulations Abraham believed God and was accounted for righteousness 400 years before the law was even given that's why no one can be made right with God by keeping the law. The Bible says that by keeping the, the works of the law, by obeying the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So chapter 4 tells us that it's by faith alone. Then chapter 5 tells us that it's this relationship with Jesus by which we become so united with him that in the same way you're born into the human race in Adam. All you have to do is be born into the human race and you are in Adam. You're in a certain condition. But then he says, just like one man sinned and 
And through his sin, sin entered the whole human race. He also says, by one man, many will be made righteous. So that now no longer am I in Adam, but my real identity is in Christ. What's that mean? Well, according to Romans chapter 6, that means that he gives me a whole new relationship with sin. And I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to sin any longer. According to Romans chapter 7, I have a whole new relationship with the law, which means that I, I, I'm not under the condemnation of the law anymore. And then I come to Romans chapter 8, and I have a whole new relationship relationship with the spirit and that becomes the greatest chapter in the bible because now the holy spirit giving us this newness of life is the wonderful truth that we're celebrating not only that there's no condemnation but listen but the but god starts freeing us from the law and it's cursed by letting us walk in the spirit now let me try to describe this a little further if you look at verse 4 that tells us that all of what God is doing is so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Let's think a little bit about the righteous requirement of the law. Righteous requirement of the law. Huh. I guess if you were to take all of the Old Testament law, you can summarize it down to one key uh, phrase is the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments, if you're going to summarize them down, well, let's even ask Jesus, out of all those Ten Commandments, what is the greatest? And what's he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we summarize the Ten Commandments. Love God. If we were to take the Ten Commandments written on a stone, the first four of them say, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not have any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. All of those are telling us how to love God. Then the other part of those commandments written on a tablet of stone is telling you how to love your neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? Well, you honor your mother and your father. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't commit adultery. And, um, and, and you don't covet. I think I got them all. Those are telling you how to love your... So if I'm going to simplify all those Ten Commandments and I'm going to come back to loving God and loving your neighbor, I'm going to make it easier for you guys even yet. All of the righteous requirements of the law can be fulfilled in one word. Is everyone ready? It's the word love. Thank you. Everyone else, repeat the word for me too. Love. All of the law requires love. But here's the, here's the news. The law could never allow you to fulfill love. He could describe it all that he wants. As a matter of fact, it's righteous that we should love each other. But the problem with the law is that no one was ever able to keep it. Why? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is able to fill, fulfill love by the law. But get this, what the law could not do because it was weak according to the flesh. That means that our flesh was not able to live according to the law. God did. God did by not only sending his son so that we can have justification, but also God did so that we who live in the spirit can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. By living in the spirit, I think we need to explain a little more. What's the Holy Spirit? We all know that the Holy Spirit existed in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he was hovering over the face of the deep at creation. We all know that the Spirit, but here's how the Spirit of God operated in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon someone, but he would also leave. So he'd come upon someone and give them wisdom how to build a temple. He'd come upon someone and give them strength for a specific task. He would even come upon like King Saul. And Joseph, the Bible says that when the Spirit of God came upon King Saul, he was able to go and prophesy. And everyone's like, wait, he's prophesying. He's the king, but he's prophesying because the spirit of God is upon him. But when he grieved the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God was also taken away from him. You see, the Old Testament is the spirit of God would come upon someone, but also could be taken away. Jay, that's why Psalm 51 says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because in the Old Testament is a very true, real 
possibility the Spirit of God would come upon you, but he also could be taken away. But listen to this. The Old Testament was anticipating a better, more powerful, greater benefit of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to write down these passages of Scripture. I'd like you to write, write down Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. I'd like you to write down Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I'd like you to write, write down Jeremiah chapter 31. All of these passages of Scripture are defining or they're describing the same thing. And I'm just going to read one of them. But it's unbelievable what he says. This is an Old Testament period where he is now describing that we're going to look for something better than just the God, Spirit of God coming upon us and then departing away from us. We're looking for something better. And here's what it's describing. So I'm in Ezekiel. I'm going to start with Jeremiah 31. Verse 33 says this, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about a new covenant covenant where the law is not just on tablets of stone exterior. He's talking about the law being written on our heart. You're like, well, Jeff, how does that happen? Maybe I do better need to read another verse. I'm going to read for you Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them and I will take your stony heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh so that they might walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. You see, he's telling us in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, that instead of spirit of God upon you I'm going to put the spirit of God in you and when I put the spirit of God in you he's going to do something from inside of you that the law could never do from the outside of you you're going to walk in my statutes you're going to walk in love you're going to love God and you're going to love your neighbor but it's going to be because I'm going to put my spirit within you hallelujah but then you move ahead not only the old testament you come to the gospels and during the gospels was the Holy Spirit there of course he was Jesus when he was baptized had the spirit of God descend upon him like a dove remember that and Jesus was led by the Spirit out of the wilderness. But even Jesus, during the Gospels, anticipated a better, more powerful, more wonderful blessing. In John chapter 14, John chapter 16, a whole section where he's talking about the comforter who's going to come. Here's what Jesus said. Everyone get ready for this. It's powerful. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I depart and go away. Now, look, if there's anyone with any common sense who's hearing Jesus at that point saying, wait a second, how could it be better for us if you depart Jesus and go to heaven? I mean, you've been feeding us, you've been teaching us, you've been healing us, you've been raising the dead. I mean, you're the one who quiets the storm when we're out of the sea. How could it possibly be to our advantage? And here's what Jesus said. He said, it's going to be to your advantage because I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to receive the promise of the Father. And then he says, the spirit who has been with you will be in you. People, this is so powerful. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon them, but they needed something more. They needed the Spirit of God within them. In the Gospels, they had the Spirit of God with them because Jesus was with them, but they needed something more powerful. Instead of just being with them, they needed the Spirit of God in them. But then when Jesus did depart and he poured out the Spirit at Pentecost, that Holy Spirit that came upon Jew, Gentile, male, female, it didn't matter anybody Without any respect of persons to anyone, the Spirit of God began indwelling people, and you need to know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I don't expect you guys on the front row, you're becoming my partners in this. I don't expect you to answer this. But if you have believed in the Lord Jesus, accepted Him as your Savior, the Bible says that His Holy Spirit is is in you. And his Holy Spirit is doing some things inside of you, including he's doing something to create what the law described, 
let me come back to you guys in a second and describe it this way. If the law can tell you to love God and love your neighbor, but it can't do it, then guess what God does? He sends his Holy Spirit into you. And now Galatians chapter five says that if we walk, if we live in the spirit, we should walk in the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is. Then we need to try that again. The fruit of the spirit is. The fruit of the spirit is love. You can talk about joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. You can talk about all the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't need to go any further than the first word. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Here's what I want you to know, that when God indwells you by His Spirit, He begins producing something from inside of you that the law could never produce from the outside of you. The law could tell you to love, but only the Spirit of God can enable you to love. Track with me on this. Did you know that the fruit of the Spirit is the biggest, most important manifestation of you being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, let's talk, all of us, because we get confused. Sometimes we talk to all kinds of people who come to different churches, and they're like, oh, you, you really want to be spiritual. You need to have this gift. Or you need to have this experience. I can prove to you from the Bible that the fruit of the Spirit always trumps the gifts of the Spirit. Are you ready for this? Quotation, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but if I do not have, I'm a noisy gong. If I had all wisdom and knowledge to be able to understand all visions and prophecies, but if I do not have, I am nothing. If I gave all of my money away to feed the poor, but if I do not have, it profits me nothing. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is far more important. It's far more evidence of you walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. Now, I'm not minimizing, Jay, the the, the wonderful gifts of the Spirit. Praise God for all the different gifts that He has given. I just want you to know that the measure of your spirituality, Daniel, is not just the gifts you exercise. It's the fruit of the Spirit by the Spirit of God coming inside of you and producing from the inside what the law could never do from the outside. Everyone's ready for this now? Because today, I'm telling you that if you've never heard the gospel or you've never comprehended the way you're doing right now, then maybe you need to be justified freely by grace and receive that there's no condemnation. Come to Christ Jesus. But I'm also talking to Christians who have known this gospel message for a long time, and right now, maybe you've forgotten that you have some secret sauce. And that secret sauce is the Holy Spirit that's indwelling you. And maybe you're going through a relational challenge right now. Maybe there's some conflict by which you're like, man, I just don't know if I can love her anymore. Or maybe I just don't know how I can love him anymore. I just don't see how we can love. Why is it anymore? If you're going with Yeah. <laughs> 
really because we understand that what God begins with no condemnation, he does it by his Holy Spirit who's freeing us from rules, laws, regulations. He's producing something from inside of you. Frankly, he's producing something inside of you that the world around us desperately needs to see. They need to see homes that are characterized by love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. They need to see marriages characterized by love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. They need to see a church that's characterized by love, joy, peace. They need to see the Spirit producing what the law could never do. 